Could I uh, pray real quick just for me? All right. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I pray you'd clear my mind of all the clutter and all the stuff that goes on that has nothing to do with you. And I pray that you'd allow me to to speak your words tonight with clarity and understanding and effectiveness and application. Uh, Help your people to understand what you're saying. And I pray I'd move through this in a way, Lord, that would be a blessing to you and you'd be pleased. And we say that we love you. Amen. Um, tonight I'm going to continue in a, in a series I teach about once a month. And so I've been doing a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And it's from the, um, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And so I've been moving through those. And, you know, in my typical OCD fashion, I was going to do them one after the other. And Paula came in and said, I want to teach one that's down here right now. And so... <laughs> I said, what the heck, I'm going to do it too then. So I'm teaching out of order tonight. I moved to verse 8. I am. I'm just going to be not that freak out person. So I'm just going to, I just want to, my whole heart was to teach on this one verse. And I'm doing all of the Beatitudes so I could teach this one verse. So I thought, you know, what the heck, I'm just going to teach it. I've I've been full of it for weeks and months. Janet knew that. Anyway, we're going to read from Matthew 5, verse 8. And I was going to do handouts tonight, but um, Office Depot couldn't accommodate me, so just wing it and be with me. Someday we'll have our own printer, won't we? Yeah, that's right. So um, this, this verse reads like this, and it's, it's a pretty simple verse. It's quick and easy, and, and so I'm just going to read it to you, and then I'm going to talk about it what it really says, I think. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so just moving through that quickly, that's, that sounds like it just rolls off the tongue. It's easy. Hey, let's move on to the next one. But there's a whole lot in this. And I want to just share with you what I've been studying, what I've found. The, um, when I read things like this, I've got this inquiring mind, and so I ask all these questions. And it's, I, I'm a teacher, so I study a lot of different information. Some of the questions that come to mind when I read this is, who are these pure in heart people who are so blessed? And how did they get that way? And how does someone become pure at heart? And finally, how is it that pure in heart people come to see God so clearly? Aren't those good questions? Have you ever wondered about any of those? Well, yeah, we're going to try to answer some of those questions tonight. I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, what do we know about these words of Jesus? What do they mean in Bible context? So first of all, you recall from maybe, I'm going to do a quick summary from um, about two months ago. I, I talked about the word blessed, what it means to be blessed, what Jesus is saying here. And we established that the word blessed, these are people that Jesus was pronouncing. He was declaring them in a certain state already. He was saying they're spiritually prosperous and they're happy and they're to be admired. If you read the, um, the Holman Study Bible, it kind of gives a quick little snippet that says this is more than the word happy. This word, you know, blessed, uh, as some Bibles translated, it suggests the idea of being congratulated because of God's favor and it's being granted to these people. So what he's, Jesus is saying, you're to be congratulated. You people are just awesome. And your favor is incredible with God. And so he's speaking to a people who he's looking at them and saying, you are truly in good standing with God. You are blessed. 
and enviable. You're spiritually prosperous. Your soul is happy and you have peace in your life. And he goes on to say what this blessing, what it applies to in this situation. So even in the Amplified Bible, it infers that it's not a temporary thing. Like today, you're, you're really blessed. This is a now and forever blessing. This is your condition, your state. If you're found to be one of these people, you have something that's going to be with you for eternity, this blessedness. So that's what I want us to get a, a better grasp on. I want to move to the word pure. And we see that this particular people in verse 8 are the ones the Lord describes as pure in heart. Now, I want you to understand, there is a process of purity. It has a beginning, and it has a continuation, and it has a culmination, a graduation day. And so I'm going to talk about the phases, the facets of this, and what it means to these blessed people. This, uh, this even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament both, the word pure carries the same meaning. They're different words, but they carry the same understanding and translation. And some of these, it talks about a process. And it's interesting, the word here, and I, David could tell you what it is, but it's not important in Hebrew. But what it means is this. It means to cleanse or to make bright. So pure means to be cleansed and made bright. Um, the result of this cleansing and, this, and making someone bright is they become undefiled, unblemished, untarnished, and absolutely clean. This is a total makeover. This is a removing of all defilement, contamination, and evil, and any tarnished effect. So pure here is a beautiful thing to be blessed with. So the Old Testament and New Testament both agree there's two families of words that translate pure. One of them has to do with a ritual cleansing, ritual purity, and the other has to do with a state of condition, something called moral uprightness. So there's a process where that brings people into a place of moral uprightness. And so, in a, as I think it's interesting, when the Lord uses the word here, pure, in this particular translation, the one he's referring to is the cleansing effect. He's talking about the process. So these people, the same word, this is the same word we get our word catharsis from. You know what catharsis means? Are you familiar with that? It means it's the act of purgation or purging the, the, to rid oneself of something that's impure or undesirable, to cleanse and to purify and to rid and clear or free. So there's a whole ridding oneself of everything that's dark. There's a brightness that comes out in people who are cleansed in this ritual cleansing. So hold that thought in your head, and I'm going to build on these words. As we move forward, Jesus is describing what? A purification of someone which results in a condition where that person is free of any undesirable effects or qualities and enables them to see so clearly that they can perceive the ways and glory of God. This is our state, folks. When we begin to move into this place of this, this level of cleansing, we're going to be able to see so clearly that we can perceive God's glory and His ways. Now, does that make you hungry for purification? Because this is not something you've got to go out and grit your teeth and do. This is a beautiful thing that God's doing for us. Let me explain this. Now, when we first moved to the word heart, I think it was a month ago, I explained, I kind of defined this. The word here I, is the word cardia, and I thought, mm, it's not the physical thing. This is something that is the seat of your mind. 
It's where all these kinds of things go on. Thoughts and feelings and imagination, your will and your desires, your emotions, your affections, your memory and your conscience. All of that that's going on in this person that you are is that the seed of all of that is something called the heart. So putting these words together, the pure of heart, excuse me, we have to ask ourselves, how do you become absolutely cleansed and purified in your mind, that is in your thoughts, your feelings, imagination, will, desire, emotions, all of those things that are part of your, your soul, your heart, how do you become absolutely pure in that? Well, it might help to understand the process, might it? So we're gonna talk about what is the process of com- becoming pure? This is daunting. When I first read this, I think of religion. And I just kind of shrink back from purity and words like holiness and things like that because it dials up to me activity that's religious. And so can we just dismiss that? Can you wipe that slate clean and let's develop something else? Sure. All right, so first we know that God is spirit. Agreed? And has chosen to connect with man via spirit. Spirit to spirit, he communes with us. He has union with us. Thank you for that feedback. (laughs) Through this union, man's heart, the seat of his mind, comes under the influence and instruction of God through the Spirit. You with me? So God's connected with us spirit to spirit, and he begins to bring influence to our heart via this communication and influence and relationship. So from Genesis on, the Bible is clear on the issue that apart from God, the natural man is not pure not clean in either spirit or soul. Can we agree on that? From Adam until today, mankind is born into a sinful state, a nature, and he will continue to act out of that sinful state and that nature unless something life-changing happens to him or her because that's the nature of man. What's worse, Paul tells us in Romans 7 that we are powerless to do anything else. We are stuck doing sinful things because sin lives in us and it has made us slaves to the compulsions and behaviors that follow after sin. So when we say that people are sinning and that they're sinners, we say, of course they are. That's who they are. That's what sinners do. And so give them a break. (laughs) I'm serious. Don't expect sinners to act like Christians. They don't have the capacity. Can we give them a break? Can we hang out with them and just have compassion for their state and pray that they would become something else? Of course we can. That's in our capacity. So natural man's best intentions and his most righteous living will not get him an audience with a holy God. There's no place he can be in that state with a holy God. It's just not permitted. So in the beginning, in the garden, when man chose to separate himself from God and become independent, that was done by choice. And that virus has permeated all of mankind. It comes down to us by inheritance that the children of Adam cannot find their way home to the Father on their own. Are we in agreement with that? In their natural state, man is lost and cannot find his way. Man's best attempts, and even the law of Moses, pointed to man's emptiness and his inadequacy as sinners. So a way had to be made for sinful man to be rejoined to holy God. You with me? Is this too simple? 
I'm going somewhere with this. And the reason I'm backtracking is so you'll have the whole process of purification. Because when we arrive there, I want you to know this was always God. It was never us. So a way was made according to his great mercy and kindness. Our father searched us out, reached down to lift us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of light. You with me? He had to come and find us and rescue us and redeem us and put us in a different place. All that to say this, we began this journey of purity by admitting we are not pure people. And then in response to that confession, I am not pure, please forgive me, God mercifully forgives us and gives us his grace and covers us with something called purity and holiness. It's a cloak we wear called Jesus. Purity can never come from self-righteousness or any activity associated with man, initiated by man. Purity is a cleansing that comes to me through, number one, the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Were you in agreement? When I embrace the work of Jesus on the cross in that place of union, when his spirit comes to live in me and me with him, I am declared pure and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Okay? Jesus was emphatic when he declared, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life. And no one, and I think that includes who? No one (laughs) comes to the Father but through me. John 14. Now, Bill Johnson said this. I know this flies in the face of, of political correctness. But let me agree with Jesus that there are not many ways to God. Bill Johnson said this. I love this quote. He said, if there are many ways to God, then the Father was cruel for requiring Jesus to die in our place. If there are many ways, then why send your son to be sacrificed, your only begotten son? So the Bible tells us when Jesus enters into this union with us, he cleanses us first by his blood. In other words, there's a ritual cleansing. There's a washing in the blood that removes the defilement of the stain of sin. Are we clear on that? We come into a place where we are recognized as righteous and free, undefiled. We carry none of that darkness with us. Without that born-again experience, no amount of work in the mind will ever be redeemed. You can't, in your mind, get there. The mind is a secondary work that comes after the blood of Jesus cleanses us. We cannot even hear the message without the cleansing, without the revelation of the Spirit. So the cleansing work is, de- is, defined, is described in Hebrews 13, 12, and it says this, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So there's a sanctifying, cleansing effect that comes to us from the blood. Have I said that enough? This whole thing is initiated through the compassion and mercy of God, sacrificing his son, and that blood cleansed us of all our sin. Now this is the foundation of our righteous position and condition and purity. We're secure in the work. If Jesus, if we believe what he says and we receive that message into our hearts, 
and his offer of salvation. It's a gift from the pure one. And he imputes that to us. It comes to us in this union. And it's through his blood we are cleansed and born again. But wait, there's more, as it says in the commercial. Fortunately for us, God doesn't leave us there in this place of innocent purity and say, good luck with that, have a nice life. How many baby Christians do you know that flounder for lack of discipleship and coaching and care? When we come into the kingdom, there's an immediate need for help in this process of growth and development. And although we are seen pure in, in the eyes of God, and the blood of Jesus has done what it was meant to do, we are immature and lack a lot of growth in some other areas that are very significant in our soul, in our heart, the mind, the seat of our heart. So this new found, it's not a natural thing for us and it requires something Paul calls instruction. So God gave the gift of preachers and teachers and counselors and, and others who speak the word to bring instruction so as these babies can grow up and not be scarred spiritually and emotionally. In Philippians 2.12, Paul tells us this. So then, dear ones, just as you've always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. There's more to be done here. He says in parentheses in the Amplified, cultivate this, this salvation. Continue to work it out and cultivate it in such, bring it to full effect and actively pursue spiritual maturity. And do that with awe-inspired fear and trembling. Parentheses using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Jesus. You with me? So there's something else that comes after this initial cleansing of the blood, and there's some instruction that needs to happen that continues this thing called salvation. I think it was, someone said that we're in the, uh, the um, state of done and not yet done. We are saved and being saved. And it's a mystery. God holds us in tension. But though we were purified, now we are still being purified. You with me? There's something that goes on in this work that continues, that demands our attention and our participation. You with me? We can't just kick it into neutral. There's something here God wants to engage with us on that's called maturity. Paul is saying that the, this working out of our salvation to mature place requires a pursuit on our part. We need to learn to cultivate that activity, both by instructions from these different gifted teachers and preachers, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, in our devotional lives. So we see that having entered into this place of purity and holiness, we still need to steward the work in our lives through the washing of the Word of God. So we have the washing of the blood, we have the washing of the word of God that continues the work that was done. Is this too primary? Okay, hang in there with me. So Paul gives us an excellent example of this work of the washing of the word. And some of you are going to flinch, but let me just tell it like it is. I've used this for years. 
And it starts in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. There is a work that goes on that the word calms and instructs us and washes us clean of the residue of this world. Though we are pure in our hearts, there is a work of the devil in this world of defilement, and we must resist it. We cannot participate in the world's activities. Is that a hard word? It's the truth. He goes on to say that he might present this bride to himself, a glorious church, not having a single spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Isn't that the same concept? So this cleansing, this pure of heart that is happening, Jesus is saying, you're blessed. If you're one of these people God has called and favored, you're in the middle of God's favor. And this thing that's happening in your life that's bringing about this holiness and this purity is the work of the Spirit. And anything that stands between God and that love for you, he will remove. Though we cling to it with white knuckles, he will come and circumcise that from our hearts because it doesn't belong there on his bride. His bride will be spotless. And so he continues the word and the washing and the instruction and the encouragement and the correction and everything he needs to speak over us to bring us to a place where he can come for us and say, isn't she beautiful? In Philippians 3, Paul uses his own example of cultivating his salvation. He's talking about this ongoing work in his own life. Now you think of all people, Paul would have this nailed the wall, wouldn't you? This guy wrote, what, a third of the New Testament? And he represented most of the church growth. And yet he says, I, I, right here in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know God inside and out. I want to experience the power of his resurrection and joining his suffering shaped by his death. Now, that, most of that I don't understand. I just have to believe this guy knew what he's talking about and there's something more that I haven't experienced. And, and he's saying, no, hang on, he's, I'm going to tell you how to do this. So that I may arrive safely at the resurrection from the dead. When I say arrive safely on that day, he's not saying so you'll just barely make it. <laughs> he's saying without a great deal of damage and scars or mistakes. Don't we want to omit all those that we can? Don't we want to have our correction now? our instruction now so we can respond to this. So on the day of resurrection, we don't have to receive it then. He says, oh, by the way, I'm not there yet, nor have I become perfect, but I am charging on to gain anything and everything the anointed one Jesus has in store for me. He says, there's so much more that I've not even told you about, and I'm pressing into that with all my might. Just watch what I do. I'll be your example because you probably can't understand this. I will demonstrate it for you in my life. And he says, and, 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 and nothing will stand in my way because he has grabbed me and won't let me go. Isn't that a great translation? We've been apprehended by God. And he said, not on your life. You're mine. I'll never let you go. 
We're going to continue this work, and I want you to participate. I want you to run this race. I want to see you actively involved in this because it's good for you, and it affects a lost world as they observe you. He says, brothers and sisters, as I said, I know I have not arrived, but there's one thing I am doing. I'm leaving my old life behind. Can you say amen? Amen. Putting everything on the line for this mission. Now, what mission is that? In another translation, it says for the high calling of God. Now, Paul is not the only one that had a high calling. Every single believer has a high calling. He says, I'm sprinting toward the only goal that counts, to cross the line. I'm going for the finish, and I'm going full speed. And I want everything that God has for me from now all the way to the finish. Because when I go to be to heaven, there won't be a place where I can demonstrate this passion for him ever again. I want to win the prize, to hear God's call to a resurrection life found exclusively in Jesus the anointed. Now we all have the same goal. Maybe we don't have Paul's role and his gifting, but we have our own task, don't we, within the fellowship. And God's saying to us in this season, are you aware that there's something ramping up in the spirit? And he's calling his church to be something more than it has been. That would be us. And he's saying to us, I want you to passionately take hold of this message and begin to move with me in this rhythm and this dance because everyone in this world is watching you. And you're a demonstration of who I am. So what can we say about Matthew 5, 8? Who are these people of peace and joy whose hearts are being cleansed and purified and they're beginning to see God and perceive him and his holiness? They are us. (laughs) We are them. We are the children of promise who have entered in by the blood of Jesus and we're continuing on by the what? The washing of the water, the living word of God. We are the redeemed orphans who are now stewarding our lives and purifying our hearts. I want you to consider these two issues of the cleansing of our heart. Chris Valton said it so well when he wrote, you were saved when you believed in Jesus, but you were transformed when you realized that he believed in you. So we're talking about being saved and transformed. It's the same loving God. We were saved when we believed in him, but when we realized he believed in us and he's come to live in us and he has a destiny, a purpose, and he's ready to get on with it, he says, then we are transformed. We become people of destiny. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about that. And I'm 72 years old. And he said, Bob, we got stuff to do. (laughs) I'm going, well, okay. I thought I was going to go play golf, but I guess not. So so if, if the Lord believes in us, Would you agree with me that there's nothing that he can't do? And there's nothing we can't become if we'll only risk it? If we'll be brave and have courage and step out and do the things that scare the hell out of us? (laughs) Because they're supposed to, right? There can't be any hell in us. All darkness must go from the blood and from the washing of the word. I firmly believe we can begin to walk out this cleansing with him as we come closer and hear the words of life that he washes over us, words of encouragement, not criticism, not sarcasm, not anger, words that a, ch- a father would speak to his child. We are people of our testimony. 
The Bible's clear in Revelation that, that, that Satan will be defeated on two counts. What are they? The blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. Now, if it's our testimony is being established in three areas of our lives, this is just one of them. This is the one called purity. What we demonstrate to the world is the testimony of Jesus. We would come apart from their value system and live as we sh should. I hate to use that word as we're called to, as he's compelling us to join him in, they'll begin to see a difference in the church. There's two other Ps. There's purity, power, and presence in our testimony. I'm going to talk about those other two as I develop this Sermon on the Mount because it's full of these three messages, purity, power, and presence. We'll move through that later. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to eat. I, I hope you've heard this right. The work that God's begun in you, he will complete it. He will fulfill it until the coming of Jesus. He'll continue this process, and he's for you. There's no condemnation in a message of purity. It's all about stand up and recognize that you are and throw off everything that says you're not. So let me pray for you. Father, we become these people of pure hearts by hearing your word and responding to it. So help us to fix our hearts on this message. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, help us to think continually on these things and center our minds on them and implant them in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.